That's a lot of people who want a friend. Well, the title of this message today is No Longer Lonely. And I'm going to turn to Proverbs 17, 17. And uh, let's talk about what it means to make a friend. What is the fine art of making a friend? We all want them. What does the Bible say about making friends? Let's stand to read Proverbs 17, 17. Not too long ago, a woman was arrested for stealing a can of peaches. The judge got her in front of him and he said, here you are again. You've been here several times. What am I going to do with you? He said, how many peaches were in the can that you stole? And she said, six. And he said, well, you know, every other time you've been in here for stealing, I've given you probation. But now I'm going to have to be a little bit stronger. I'm going to give you a day in jail for every peach that you stole. Right about then, the husband from the audience piped up and said, Judge, you ought to know she stole a can of peas, too. Now, my point in the joke is that we ought to want to be who with, with who we're with. We ought to want to be with who we're with. Proverbs 17, 17 says, A friend loves at all times and is born, as is a brother, to stand by you in adversity. Lord, we just thank you for friends, for how crucial they are for the importance of friends. And we pray that, Lord, you will help us to be wise choosers of those who become our friends and teach us the skill of making friends so that we are not haunted and afflicted with loneliness. We know that there is power in the right friendships. And we pray that, God, you will help us to make friends that change us and help transform us and mold us in the, in the image of Jesus Christ, and we thank you for it in Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him you're going to make a friend. All right. I'm going to read the verse again. A friend, a friend, a real friend, loves at all times and is born, as is a brother, to stand by you in adversity. A true friend will stand by you in adversity. When everybody else walks out, a true friend walks in. And that's why it says of Jesus Christ that he was a friend of sinners. Because I'll tell you that when everybody else walks out, Jesus walks in. And Jesus loves you today more than you can possibly imagine. And I want to begin this message today by just telling you you may have a great friend. You may have a best friend of 50 years. But the supreme friend we all have is Jesus Christ. The Bible says that the wrong kind of friends can corrupt your faith, ruin your morals, and corrupt your walk with God. Why are friends important? Because you're going to begin to see the world through the lens of your friends. The Bible says, do not be so deceived and misled. Evil companionships, associations, crowds, corrupt and depraved good manners and morals and character. 
The Message Bible says, bad company ruins good manners. The NIV says, bad companions ruin, destroy good character. It matters who you run with. It matters who your friends are. The Bible has a lot to say about friends. In my devotional uh, time this week, I noticed that in Proverbs 27 alone, friends are mentioned six times. Now last time we talked about what a godly friend looks like, what the characteristics of a godly friend are. I would encourage you to get that tape afterwards because we need to know what a godly friend looks like, what their character should be. But today I want to focus on how to be no longer lonely, or as the song said, only the lonely. Proverbs 18.24 says, here's the key to friendship. Proverbs 18.24, a man who wants friends must himself be friendly. If you want friends, you must yourself be a friendly person. Now why in the world would I go into all of this about friends? And next week, by the way, Lord willing, I'm going to talk about how to be the friend of God. Because Jesus called his disciples friends if they did a certain thing. And we'll talk about that next week. Don't miss it. How to be the friend of God. How many of you would like to be God's friend? You can be. And we're going to talk about that. Now, why talk about friends this much? Because I've made up my mind as your pastor that this year I'm going to preach messages that will sharpen you spiritually that will guarantee to sharpen you spiritually. And as I prayed about this, it seemed like the Lord said, talk to them about their friends. Talk to them about who they're running with. Because here's a promise. Where you are in your walk with God at this same time next year will depend on two things. How strong your devotional life was with God and who your friends were. That's, that's the predictor. That's the prophet of who you will be a year from now, how much time you spent with God and in the Word, and who you ran with. Remember this truth. When God wants to bless you, He puts a person in your life. And when Satan wants to destroy you, He puts a person in your life. If you have a godly friend, you're going up. If you have an ungodly friend, you're going down. Because your friends will make you or break you. They will taint you or make you shine. Your friends, who you run with, who you fellowship with, who you open your spirit up to, who you allow into the inner sanctum of your soul, who you talk to all the time, who you walk with all the time, who you share your secrets with, those people will decide who you are a year from now. That's why I choose them very, very carefully. I believe that God puts people in our lives, and I believe Satan puts people in our lives. Now, how many friends do most people have? Research has found this. On average, people surveyed had one to two best friends, four to six close friends, and 10 to 20 casual friends. Think about that. How many best friends do you have? Probably one or two. How about, how about close friends, four to six, casual, 10 to 20? But we all have them. We've all got friends. We have all got people who touch our lives. 
Godly friends are important because they are guides to our development. With an intimate friend, one man wrote, we can see the world through someone else's eyes, learn how he or she deals with problems, setbacks, and successes. We can share our feelings, practice honesty, experience anger or disappointment, and then talk about it without fear of being judged. But here's the guarantee. You will begin to see the world through your friend's eyes. Look at the disciples who walked with Jesus. He became not only their Lord, their master, their teacher, but also a friend. And by the time they were finished walking with him, they were beginning to see the world through the eyes of Jesus, not their own carnal eyes. Why do you think Peter felt confident to step out of the boat and walk on the water? Because he saw his friend Jesus do it. I remember the story of, of Gehazi and Elisha when they were surrounded by an army in a city. And as the army surrounded them, Gehazi got up and looked out and said, we're dead ducks because we're surrounded. But what did Elisha say? He said, Lord, open his eyes. And suddenly his eyes were open and he saw chariots of fire surrounding the city and he knew According to the famous statement of Elisha, greater are those who are with us than those who are with them. And Gehazi began to see the world through the eyes of the one he was running with. So we ought to be running around with people who sharpen us spiritually, who challenge us spiritually. This week I spent a few hours with a pastor friend of mine and he told me, he said, you know, he said, Jeff, he said, I I'm, I'm in the 26th month of getting up every day and praying for an hour. I couldn't say that. I don't get up every day and pray for an hour. I, I, I usually read for an hour, but he's talking about just getting down and praying. I read the Bible. I'm a better reader of the Bible than I am a prayer, admittedly. And you know what? When he said that, it's haunted me in a good way ever since. And it has sharpened me. And it's made me want to get up and seek God and pray a little bit more than I was. And I noticed that's what godly friendships do. They sharpen you. As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. And, 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 and if you're with somebody who's walking with God, seeking God, then they are only going to bring you further along and higher up. But if you're walking with somebody who compromises, if you're walking with somebody who does not love the Lord, if you're walking with a person, you might have great chemistry, but they don't have the walk with God that you do. You need to look at that and pray, oh God, give me a friend who will make me more like Jesus, who, who I can share the things of God with, who if I say, you know, the Holy Spirit said this or that to me, they won't look at me like a deer stares at headlights. They'll know exactly what I'm talking about because they also walk with God. And if you notice that the way that men and women experience friendship is very, very different. Talk or intimate conversation is the essence of female friendship while the opposite is true of most male friendships. Rather than confide in each other, men tend to do things together. While women delve into relationships telling secrets, revealing something profoundly personal, you know what it feels like to walk up to a table full of women talking. <laughs> Come on guys, how many of you know the feeling? And you feel like you have invaded something holy. And they look at you like you're an alien from another planet. Because you're male. And they've been having one of their female talks. And if your wife is in there with them, you pray hard. <laughs> I 
They reveal personal things. They share intimate secrets. But male buddies are generally busy with a mutual activity. Talk is likely to be about something impersonal, sports, current events, or work. Hey, what about that game? Hey, what about the Super Bowl? Where are you going for the Super Bowl? Most women could care less where you're going for the Super Bowl. The guys will get around and have fellowship around the Super Bowl. Kathy and I were out with a few people a couple of weeks ago, and all of a sudden Kathy says, well, I'm, I'm going to the restroom. And the other one said, I'll come. And then the other one said, I'll come too. And I thought, what would people in this restaurant think if I turned to Tony and said, hey, Tony, you want to go to the bathroom? Hey, Bob, you want to come too? Be a whole, I don't want to go to the bathroom to talk. I want to get in and out. But that's women, and that's men. So if when it comes to making new friends, you're all thumbs, how do you go about it? How do you go about making friends? Are you lonely today? Have you wondered why you don't have a friend? Do you feel completely isolated? Do you get up with that dull ache on the inside? that there is nobody who can share your life with you. You don't have a friend. All your crises, you go through them alone. You might be in a crowd like this, but be completely lonely. Because there's a huge difference between alone and lonely. You can be alone and not be lonely. And you can be lonely and not alone. I'm going to tell you something. You don't have to remain lonely. You can make a friend. How do you do it? We make friends by intentionally reaching out to people, intentionally reaching out to people and sharing our gifts with them. Say, so, Pastor Jeff, I'm just believing God's going to bless me with a friend. That's like people who need a job and they sit in their living room and believe for McDonald's to come knocking on their door. If you want a friend, you've got to show yourself friendly. It takes persistence and it takes some guts. Nobody likes to be rejected. And making new friends can bring you as much rejection as an American Idol contestant. Someone wisely pointed out, the problem is, and I really do believe this is true, the problem is that we're still in the me generation. The me generation thinks this way. My needs, my fulfillment are all that matter. It's me. If you meet my needs, help me towards my fulfillment, then I'll be your friend. That's why the most popular Christian book in the history of the world, The Purpose Driven Life, starts with that one haunting phrase or sentence, it's not about you. But that's what we boomers and busters were raised to believe, that it is about us, and it's not about us. And everybody who comes into our life is not there just to make us something wonderful. Forget about them. Everyone who comes into our life as a friend is not there to serve us, is not there to meet our needs exclusively. It's reciprocal. It's give and take. Think about it. 
since millions of people are walking around with that philosophy about friends, it leaves millions of empty, frustrated, unfulfilled people out there who are dying for a friend, so the market for friendship is huge. Friendship begins by somebody intentionally reaching out and sharing their gift. At a Christian conference, one of the leaders told the story of his introduction to Christ. He had had a need. His car had broken down right in front of a church, and on a Sunday morning, his car broke down. He was lost spiritually. No garages were open on Sunday, no way to get the car fixed, nothing to do but wait. This guy didn't know much about the Bible, but he'd heard the story about the good someone or other and remembered it to be the good Philippian. So he figured he'd just sit there until church was over and wait for a good Philippian to come out of the church and bail him out of his trouble. What are you doing? I'm waiting for a good Philippian. Church was over. The people came out with beautiful, saintly expressions on their faces. And every one of them passed his car with its hood open without saying a word. Finally, the last saint exited, and it was the pastor. The pastor came over the car. What seems to be the trouble, he asked. The man with the breakdown dumped all over the pastor about hypocritical Christians who didn't act like good Philippians and help out a person in need. Gee, I wish I could help you, said the pastor, but I'm tied up today. How about tomorrow? sarcastically. The man said, sure, great. Why don't you come over for breakfast while you're at it? The pastor said, what time? He said, make it eight. And walked away thinking, right. The next morning at eight o'clock, there was the pastor. He spent the better part of the day fixing the guy's car. He refused to take any money for it. The guy figured that anyone who'd do a thing like that might have something to say. He went to the pastor's church the next Sunday, and the upshot of the whole thing is he became a believer, and today the guy with a broken-down car is a minister himself, all because someone used their gift to meet his need. When the Peter principle... And I'm going to tell you what that means in a moment. When the Peter principle is the only tool the church has, then the church declines. You say, what in the world is the Peter principle of Simon Peter? Here's what it is. When in doubt, make a speech. Now, I'm going to tell you, that's me. That's me. And I'm trying to not be that way. But here's the way churches think. Everything is solved by a speech. Everything is settled by a word. But it's not. Some people don't want to hear you quote verses. They don't want to know how literate you are in the Bible. They want to see the language of love manifested. Mark 9, 5, and 6. Here, here's Peter. Jesus takes James and John and Peter to the Mount of Transfiguration. As Jesus is standing there, suddenly he begins to glow. And Suddenly standing with him on one side is Moses, the other side Elijah. Moses representing the law, Elijah representing the prophets. Jesus talks with them. Suddenly they're gone. And the Bible says, Peter standing there, dumbstruck, it says, not knowing what to say, he said. How many of you know somebody like that? 
Well, I don't know what to say, but I'm going to say. Listen to me. I don't know what I'm talking about, but I'm going to talk. Not knowing, how many of you know, not knowing what to say, they say. How many of you are that way? Oh, and we got lying problems here today, too. But when the Andrew principle, the Andrew principle is in practice in a church, the church thrives and it grows. And what was the Andrew principle? When in doubt, make a friend. Hold that thought a minute. Let me tell you something you won't believe. People who study the way churches grow tell us that only 2 to 3% of our church members join a church because of a program in the church, no matter how well it's done. I don't like quoting this one, but I'm going to quote it. Only 5 to 6% of our members join a church because of the pastor. I had to pray about that one. I was tempted to embellish it and at least say 20 or 30. <laughs> but that's what they said. No matter how outstanding he or she may be, five to six percent only become a part of a church because of the preacher. What really makes the difference is you and you and you and you and you and you. Because 75 to 90 percent of all American church members have come to faith because of a family member or a friend, friend already in the congregation. If I were to ask you to stand today, those of you who are here because somebody you knew invited you, well, let's just go ahead and do it. How many of you are in church today because somebody you knew you had relationship with invited you? Stand up. Look around you. That's the Andrew Principle. That's the Andrew principle. I was hoping it wouldn't be that big, but it was. <laughs> it's not the Peter principle that gets most people saved. Did you know that? Even a Billy Graham crusade, most of the people who come down and get saved are there because somebody brought them. And Billy Graham and his team realized that years and years and years ago. And they have a huge networking program to get people to bring someone they know. Listen to what happened in John chapter 1, verse 36. This is out of the Message Bible. The next day, John was back, John the Baptist was back at his post with two disciples who were watching. He looked up, saw Jesus walking nearby, and said, There he is, God's Passover lamb. The two disciples heard him and went after Jesus. Jesus looked over his shoulder and said to them, What are you after? They said, Teacher, where are you staying? Where are you staying? We've got to be where you are. He replied, Come along and see for yourself. They came, saw where he was living, and ended up staying with him for the day. Can you imagine staying a day with Jesus? It was late afternoon when this happened. And then here's what the Bible says happened. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, 
was one of the two who heard John's witness and followed Jesus. The first thing he did. The first thing he did. After finding where Jesus lived. Boy, I'll tell you, that moves all over me. Because once you find where Jesus is, there needs to be a first thing that you do. The first thing he did after finding where Jesus lived was find his own brother, Simon, telling him we found the Messiah, and it says he immediately led him to Jesus. And as soon as Jesus saw Simon Peter, he said, your name is Simon. I mean, folks, we're talking about Andrew. Andrew did Simon Peter. His life was totally changed because his brother Andy said we have found him we have found him who the one the prophets talked about so come and see and he hadn't gotten in the proximity of Jesus for 30 seconds before Jesus said your name is Simon you shall be called Peter the rock you're a man of destiny you're a man of purpose you're a man for whom I have a plan. And you just encountered your destiny when you encountered me. And how did it happen? It happened because bro Andy found Jesus and used relationship to bring his brother Peter to him. That's the Andrew principle. I want you to say this with me. The Andrew principle is, say it with me now, be a friend, make a friend, Bring that friend to Jesus. Be a friend, make a friend, bring that friend to Jesus. I read recently of a man in India whose ministry is to students. He's brought a great number of his own countrymen who are Hindus and Muslims to faith in Jesus Christ. When he's asked how he does it, he says that his strategy, his strategy is so profound, I hope you can handle it. His strategy is to take them to lunch. Every Sunday, he and his wife entertain somewhere between 30 and 50 Hindus and Muslims and feed them lunch. So you talk about Christ at these meals, he's asked? Oh no, he replies, it's impossible to talk openly about Jesus Christ in this country. Well then how are so many people being saved? Here's what he said. I love them until they ask me why. He can't preach. He can only show the love of Jesus by action. And the most creative thing he could do is take them to lunch because everybody always wants to eat. You know, you're going to go to a restaurant today after church. Let me tell you, 90% of the people are in there are church goers. And they're buffeting their bodies. <laughs> like the Bible said, Paul said, I buffet my body. He said, I buffet my body. But some have misinterpreted that to mean buffet. Oh, Christians can buffet their bodies. <laughs> Come on. He said, I just take them to lunch and, and I love them until they ask me why. 
through loving them, they meet Jesus Christ, even though they don't know whom they've met. Once they sense the reality of His love through me, they're open to discuss the reason for the love I'm showing them. Why are you being so nice to me? I'm glad you asked. It's because He was nice to me. He gave to me. So I'm giving to you, and that's the Andrew principle. I love them till they ask why. Let that sink in. Who are you loving with the love of God to the extent that they ask you why? Be a friend, make a friend, and bring that friend to Jesus. St. Francis of Assisi supposedly said these words, Preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. Now what does all this mean to you? What does all this mean as far as making friends? Let me just boil it down to some simple principles. First, be a friend by being friendly. You're not going to have a friend if you don't do that. Be a friend by being friendly. Some of you need to inform your face that you're even capable of smiling. You know, a smile is God's billboard. Smile at somebody. Look in the mirror and practice it. Don't scare yourself, but look in the mirror and practice smiling. Be a friend yourself. Be a friend to somebody. Make a conscious effort to be receptive to the needs of others. This is the basic cornerstone of friend-making. Be a friend by meeting a need through the love of Christ. Remember the pastor who fixed the car? He just fixed somebody's car. And now there's a preacher in the world because he fixed somebody's car. Make a friend. Recognize the friendship's importance and make a commitment to it. You know, we're real good about just believing God to drop something on us. Listen, folks, it's a world of sowing and reaping. So to have a friend, you've got to be a friend. You've got to make a friend. Find a way to nurture the relationship. Phone calls, email, go play, do things. Find a way to nurture that relationship. You've got to show some incentive if you want a friend. And don't expect everybody to come to you. We have people so often, not here in this church, and I'm going to tell you something. I called people last week, uh, all the visitors. I, I called a bunch of visitors, and I heard this over and over. That's the most loving church we have visited this whole year. Uh, we walked in, and we felt loved and greeted and accepted. And I'm bragging on you now because they will join a church for that reason alone if they feel loved. They said, we've been to some of the biggest largest, strongest, wealthiest churches in the city, but we felt like we were in a refrigerator. Now we felt loved, chosen, received, accepted in your church. I don't care if your hair is green. I don't care if you're not wearing a suit. I don't care if you're not wearing a dress. I don't care if you're hooked on drugs. I don't care if you're struggling with alcoholism. We want you in. This is a hospital for sinners. And it's a watering hole for the saints. But you've got to show yourself friendly, and then you've got to intentionally make a friend by investing in that friendship. Speak the truth to them. The Bible says, uh, faithful are the wounds, the things spoken in truth by a friend. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. A friend can tell you the truth about yourself and then say, now let's go get a cup of coffee. I still love you. 
The Bible says, let, let each one of you speak the truth with the truth with his neighbor. The truth. Many people say they measure a friendship's depth by their ability to be honest with that friend. Create fun and meaningful memories. Shared experience is the foundation of friendship, says one counselor. Grab every opportunity to just be with your friend. Have coffee, run an errand together, take trips, be a friend, do things together because shared memories are the foundation of friendship. Discuss common experiences. Ask about their children. Come out of your world. Don't be like the person who says, well, that's enough about me. Now let's talk about me. We're tired of hearing about you, those of you who are that way. Ask about their children, their thoughts on today's message. Take somebody to lunch today. So what do you think about that message? What do you think about that? Their impressions of their job, their current hobbies. If you are a rocket scientist, don't talk about rocket science because nobody's a rocket scientist but you. Find common experiences. Paul said, I have become all things to all men that I might save some. Be around people with similar interests. Join in activity. Surround yourself with people who share that interest. The more active you become in a group situation, the more likely you are to attract and find friends. In other words, God blesses moving targets. Get out there in groups. Tonight we're having care ministry in homes all over the Metroplex. You ought to go to a care group. Let somebody know your name. Come out of the closet. Come out of your world. Pop your bubble. Come out of it. Because they're not going to come into you. You come out to them. Well, I went to that church and nobody greeted me. You know what God's saying to you? That's the, that's the signal call that you're to be anointed to greet. You turn around and start greeting the people that were cold. You may shock them. Then bring that friend to Jesus. Listen, if they're not saved, show God's love to them until they ask why. Well, Pastor Jeff, you said we shouldn't have friends, close friends that aren't saved. You shouldn't. Don't run with them and do the things that they do, but you can easily show the love of God. And I'm not talking about being elitist. I'm talking about preserving the purity of your soul. But just because they're not saved doesn't mean you can't love them. You can show acts of love, but as soon as they say, hey, let's go down to such and such a place or go do this or that, and you know that it would compromise your faith to do it, that's where you just draw the line. Make them wonder why you drew the line. Make them wonder why you're so weird. <laughs> if they are saved, focus your relationship around the things of God. Seek God together. Let the friendship sharpen the two of you in Jesus Christ. I look forward to calling my pastor friend. And you know, I don't let anybody, I don't put the drawbridge of my heart down to anyone who I know doesn't walk with God. It's only going to be let down and people into the inner sanctum who I know walk with the Lord honor him and are going to sharpen me. Many of you have done this this morning. You were a friend, you made a friend, you brought a friend. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. The people who really make these things happen 
People coming to Christ through friendships. Friendships being built up in the Holy Spirit and God glorifying Himself in a friendship. They come from the Andes and the Andreas of the world who are available to Jesus and willing to love their neighbors. Are you one of those people? Are you one of those people? Who are your friends? Since you've had those friends, look back. Is your spiritual life sharper, keener, stronger than it was before they were your friends? Or have you had to compromise here, give in there, cave in here, sell out there to keep that friendship? Now, I'm going to drop a final word on you with this message. The way to have the best friends is the ones who can stand your walk with God. Never choose a horizontal friend over your vertical friend. Because if you have to say goodbye to him to say hello to them, they are going to burn you bad. And you're going to wake up one day and go, Lord, I am so sorry that I allowed that shift to happen. You should have been my friend, my best friend. And if you can keep Jesus your best friend in every relationship in your life, that's lordship. And that's what God can bless. That's what God can bless. Where do you want to be at this time next year? Where do you want to be? Young people, where do you want to be? Where do you want to be? You want Jesus being glorified in your life? Choose friends with whom you can walk and glorify God and go to Bible studies and worship with your hands raised and not worry about what they're going to say or think. Because they want to do it too. Amen? Let's stand together, can we?